Church, would you stand with me for the reading of the word? Revelation chapter 3, I'm reading from the NRSV. It'll come up on the screen. It says this. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a name for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is at the point of death. For I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Obey it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come to you. Yet you still have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. If you conquer, you will be clothed like them in white robes, and I will not blot out your name of the book of life. I will confess your name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So, Holy Spirit, we pray just that. May our ears be opened. May we have revelation. May there be an unveiling of, uh, within our own lives that would happen where we would see the truth of who you are and we would see the reality of our circumstances and that we would cry out to you. Holy Spirit, would you continue to, to do a work of refinement and healing within us? May our lives be in conjunction with your character. And uh, we pray that in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Amen. Have a seat. The words from Jesus to Sardis, you have a name for being alive, but you're dead. Have you ever got to see what's happening beneath the surface of something? I think about these moments where we've uh, replaced carpet in our home. And when you lift up that carpet, and as much as you have spent time vacuuming and shampooing that carpet, particularly being people that live near the, the, the beach, and bring sand into your room, you lift up that carpet and you lift up that cushion that's there and you just see the amount of dirt that has been living underneath your carpet. And that you're just absolutely floored, you're shocked by what's been hiding underneath the surface. One of my least favorite mundane things is that when I pick up an avocado and it looks great, it has a little bit like a softness to it. And you know, man, this thing is going to be absolutely incredible. And, 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 your, and your mouth's already beginning to water. And you just think, man, I, this is going to be incredible to make some guacamole with. And you cut that thing open and you twist it and you open it. And it's just black inside. You just see, you see some of the pouting even happening here in this space of just going, oh, no, it looked so good on the surface. But when I got on the inside, it was dead. Even while I was writing this sermon, I spent time, I've told you this before, rather than going to Starbucks, I go to Rubio's when I do sermon prep because I can get free refills at Rubio's and they don't give me free refills at Starbucks. 
right? But I'm sitting there, and I, and I'm, and I go back up to the iced tea machine or the, the, the container there, and I pour it, and I'm about to take a drink, and there's just a little bit of that smell of, like, staleness that was there. And I just go, it looks incredible, but it smells off. And I didn't want to open up the lid to see what was happening inside of there. Everything looked fine. I saw, I saw workers clean the outside, but there was something happening on the inside. And unfortunately, there are stories around this room of people who have interacted with the church and have engaged with people that have a facade of religiosity but there's been no interior change. And unfortunately, right, there's no, there's no hurt like church hurt. <laughs> and, 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 and there are stories right around this space where things can look great on the outside. But when there hasn't been time, maybe it can happen in amongst a community to actually sit with the Spirit of God might be saying and visiting that below-the-surface transformation that needs to happen. Church, we need to be like Luisa Madrigal from Encanto, and we need to pay attention to what's happening under the surface. We need to be at paying attention to what's happening under the surface of our lives. Sardis has a reputation. Sardis has a famous name, and it's for their works. You'll see, maybe you, you can't really see it all that well on the screen, and I'm sorry for that, but, the, but when Jesus speaks to this, to this church in verses 1 and verses 2, he says to them, I know your works. Your works are that you have a name for being alive. And then in verse 2, he tells them, I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. This is a church that has a name for their works. And we don't know precisely what their works are. We just know that they're incomplete in the sight of Jesus. So maybe that they're a generous community. Maybe this is a community of evangelists. Maybe this is a people where their worship services are incredible. Maybe this is a church that are known for their preachers and teachers who can exposit the word of God in profound ways. Maybe it's a community of entrepreneurs and they're doing mission and business at the same time where they're out in the world and they're in the marketplace and they're doing good things. Maybe they're missional. They have some kind of name to them. They have some kind of fame to them. People look at Sardis and they say, they're alive. People look at Sardis and they, and they conclude, there is so much good being done at Sardis Fellowship. People look at Sardis and they conclude, first assembly of Sardis is amazing. People look at Sardis and conclude, Sardis community is growing like crazy. But Jesus speaks to them. Their trouble is, their fame is with people and not with God. 
And their fame with people is keeping them from seeing their own bankruptcy with God. Because when you're being heralded by people, when you're being applauded by the crowds, it becomes particularly difficult to visit your own spaces of brokenness. Because you start believing that the things that people are applauding for about, about you, you begin to believe that those things are true. And I join the community of, of biblical commentators that have been reading and describing this church as presumptuous. Jesus is desiring to wake this church up from the assumption that they're a lie. There, there is something so difficult about getting through our own places of delusion. There is something so difficult about being able to see our own places of brokenness and failure and sin. The imagery given to us of Sardis, Jesus says it this way to them, you still have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. The imagery we're given is of a whole bunch of people walking around in soiled clothes. And let me say it a polite way, but you'll understand what I'm communicating when I say it this way. It's people wearing really nice suits, but underneath those clothes, they've made a mess of themselves. That's the imagery that we're given of Sardis. People applaud them and say, look how fancy your clothes are. And because they're getting that name and that fame, they're walking around and saying, you're right. Isn't this shirt of generosity great? Aren't these genes of church growth incredible? Do you see how missional these shoes are? Oh my goodness, look at those things right there, right? Like there's just something about Sardis where they, they see their exterior facade and they're concluding, we're good. We're good. Eugene Peterson in his book, Reverse Thunder, where he has this beautiful, just poetic description of what's taking place in the book of Revelation. He says this, and let me just say this. I'm bringing this up. You know, it's okay that it's on the screen already. This is like one of those gut punch type quotes. And, and I, don't, I don't say this to aim it at anyone in the room or anything like that, but I just got to say, this is where Jesus is taking the church of Sardis, and we have to courageously follow the words of Jesus to what he's communicating to this specific community in, uh, in modern-day Turkey. This is what Eugene Peterson says. The church attracts to itself persons who like to live in the atmosphere of the holy but have little interest in being holy themselves. There is this subtle and dangerous kind of temptation that we can fall into 
where we are around religious activity and because we're around that religious activity and atmosphere, we conclude that we are also holy. In the language of emotionally healthy spirituality, that sometimes the danger that we can fall into is that we can use God to run from God. And what, what Pete Scazzaro visits with us in his book about emotionally healthy spirituality is that what that can look like is that often that we can get so caught up in the good works of Christianity is that we take no time to evaluate what is the health of our soul. And there is, and what he, he says it this way, this symptom is especially toxic because it is so hard to see because on the outside when you're doing good on the outside when there's these expressions of religiosity it is difficult to see what's happening under the surface some people when they've reflected on how we can use God to run from God have, have described it this way Christians myself in, 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 myself included excel at filling their schedules with so much Christian programming that it makes it easy to hide from God amidst all of the small groups prayer meetings and worship gatherings Scazzaro says it this way, using God to run from God is when I create a great deal of God activity and ignore the difficult areas in my life God wants to change. And he goes on, he says, I know I'm in trouble when, it'll come up on the screen, when, when I pray about doing my will but not surrender to his will. When I demonstrate Christian behaviors so significant people think well of me. When I use biblical truth to judge and devalue others, and when I use scripture to justify my sinful patterns instead of evaluating them under God's lordship. That sometimes we can use God to run from the things that he's wanting to visit that are happening under the surface of our life. This is a presumptuous church. And friends, it is so difficult to see our areas of brokenness. There are parents in this room that have spent an absurd amount of time, and I'm, I'm, I'm amongst you, that have spent an absurd amount of time arguing with your toddler, trying to convince them that, yes, they have indeed peed their pants. Right, and it's, it's just, it's just mind-blowing when you're in these conversations and you're staring right at the mess that's there on their jeans and you're telling them, I think that you need to change. And they say, no, I don't. And you say, yes, I can see it. You've peed yourself. And they say, no, I haven't. And you just sit there and you just go, I I'm looking right at it. Why do I feel like I'm losing my mind? You have peed your pants. And they say, no. Friends, I'm really good at seeing where other denominations have it wrong. I'm really good about how other Christians' political views contradict their faith.
I'm really good at seeing where others have it wrong. And, and the reality is, I believe that I don't, I don't have perfect theology. The trouble is, I really don't know where I'm getting it wrong. Right? The reality is, is that I have blind spots. And I confess, it's probably true that there are areas because of my blind spots and my brokenness and my immaturity that I have harmed people in this community. Right, like, look, at least Dominic can see his broken leg as he's leading us in worship. <laughs> but it's a whole lot harder for me to see what's happening beneath the surface of my own life. And how there are spaces in my life where the, ex of the ways that I'm living and the expressions of my life don't line up with the nature of who Jesus is. It is so difficult to see our areas of brokenness. But Jesus gives this instruction to the church. He says, strengthen what remains and is at the point of death. Jesus comes to this church who's presumptuous and cannot see their areas of brokenness. And it's this word that says, it is not too late. I was watching a competition um, show. Uh, I was watching a barbecue competition show because that's what I do in my spare time. Um, and one of the contestants their fire began to dwindle down, and in a place of panic, they overloaded their firebox with too many logs. And as they did so, the judges are observing this, and out of an act of just absolute grace and kindness, they come up, came up to that contestant, and they pointed out, you have dirty smoke. You have dirty smoke. And what they did to that, for that contestant, they pointed that contestant to all the other fireboxes around them, and they said, do you see how much more pure the smoke is around you? And, and as they were pointing that out, they said, you've shoved too much in there. And because there's so much fire, what's happening is, is there's all of this soot that is actually beginning to feed into the chamber where your food is at. And they opened up the lid, and there, there, that person's beef ribs were covered with ash. But then this is what they said. It's not too late. Season the meat that is still good. And that's the word that Jesus gives to the church. They're still good. There are still parts of your life that you can take notice that, 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 that death has not taken over. And your focus now should be on investing in what remains. See, the book of Philippians gives maybe a, a word to us this way. 
It says it this way. It says, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. And church, when we're in these places of death, where we're in these places where we recognize and actually can confess, I'm broken, I'm a sinner, there are areas of my life that I probably don't recognize that, that are broken, I recognize that I have blind spots, and the way forward in that space is to look at Jesus. Because we recognize we will become like who we behold. And if we can get more and more familiar with his nature and his character in a humble posture, that that is what will overtake our lives. Strengthen what remains. The Holy Spirit has breathed life into you. God is doing a good and redemptive work in your life. Where are the areas of your life that look like the character and nature of Jesus? And spend time with him in those spaces. And let me know your goodness. Let me know your grace. Let me know your sacrificial love. Let me know your posture of serving the world, right? Let me know the, the ways that you express kindness and grace and truth and generosity to the world around me. Let me know you more. And let me focus on that in my life. There's further advice that's given by Jesus to the church. And he, and he, tells, us, he tells us this, that we are to remember and receive the spirit and the word. He says this in, in verse 3, remember then what you received and heard, obey it and repent. What has the church received? Likely, if, if you've spent time with the book of Revelation, you've noticed that there's a lot of imagery, there's a lot of poetry, and, you, and a lot of times we're confused when we engage with what's taking place in the book of Revelation. One of the places that, that, that we've been confused with, and when I say we, I just mean the church at large, is that when the book of Revelation uses this term, the seven spirits of God, right? Jesus is described here in, in Revelation chapter 3. He introduces himself to the church, and he says, these are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, Jesus is, is revealed to the church. I'm sorry, not verse 20. Um, in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Jesus comes and speaks to John, and he says, Grace and peace from him who is and was and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. What we see being described here in Revelation chapter 1 is the Trinity. It is the one who is and was and is to come. That's the Father, the seven spirits of God. That's the, the description of the Holy Spirit. And that number seven is to describe just a, a word for perfection and completion. Right? So it's the seven spirits of God. It's just this, it's this poetic and beautiful way to describe the Holy Spirit and from Jesus Christ. Why do I go through all of that? Because what Jesus introduces himself to the church of Sardis, to this dead church, he reminds them that he is the one who has the seven stars, 
That's the leadership of the church. And he has the seven spirits. That's the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one that longs to marry together the Holy Spirit and the church. Jesus is the one that longs to give the Holy Spirit to dead people. What he longs to do is what we see described in the very beginning of, of the scriptures. That there was Adam, and what brought Adam to life was that the breath of God was breathed over his body. And Adam became a living being. And what the Spirit of God is reminding us here in this moment is that there may be spaces of your life that are dead, but it is not too late. The wind of God can be blown, blown over those areas of your life. Would you remember the way that the Holy Spirit wants to empower you? Would you remember the way that the Holy Spirit longs to bring you to life and to visit those places of brokenness? He will not abandon you, but he is our good comforter and he is our counselor. And he will lead us into all good works. He will do a good work amongst us. Someone, we were at, um, we were at a pastor's conference this past week. It was our denomination's 100th anniversary. Um, and one of the people that got up on stage, I don't remember who it was, and I don't remember the exact quote. But what they, what they said, as far as I remember, <laughs> was is that what we're not looking for is the flicker of professionalism, but we're looking for the flame of the Spirit. We are just not looking for acts of excellence and professionalism that might sprout up but die. What we're looking for is to be made alive by the Holy Spirit. So the works that we produce are born of the Spirit and they are works that will last. We're not looking to be a people that do things under our own power. We're not looking to do things under our own might but it's gotta be by the spirit of the Lord that we do anything as a people. We're about receiving the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? We're about being a people that, that, that seek to have a God abide with us. We're about slowing down and knowing the presence of God with us, visiting every space of our lives. And we're about hearing God's word what does that look like? And by John, or by Jesus speaking to the church and framing hearing God's word as obedience, repentance, is that God's word is constantly pointing us to transformation. So we receive God's spirit, we receive the word of God, and we long for it to do a deep transformative work in our lives so that everything that we do is out of an out, outflow of this transformation. Let me conclude by, by this. The promise that Jesus gives to the church of Sardis is, is threefold. They're going to be given new clothes. They're going to be given a new reputa reputation. Jesus says, I will speak your name to my father. 
their name will now, their reputation will now be not, not be known by people. Their, their name will be known by God. And they'll be given new life. To this dead, soiled church who are famous in the eyes of people, Jesus says, you with soiled clothes, I'm going to give a white robe. You who have a name that's famous in the eyes of people, I'm going to give to you a name that's known by my Father. And you, a dead church, your name will be written in the book of life. They worked hard, but it didn't earn them life. Now, their reputation, their robe, their life will be given to them by Jesus. I think the way we wrap it up is to say this. Listen, church, don't dress yourself. Let Jesus clothe you. Don't, don't presume that your good works will get your name written in the book of life. It's Jesus who does that work. A couple of thoughts for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul gives this word to the church. He says, so if you think you're standing, watch out so that you do not fall. And in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the prophet tells us, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What is needed for the church at large is a dose of humility. May, may we be a people that aren't presumptuous, but may we be a people that walk humbly with our God. May we be a people that, that take this posture that says, I don't have it all figured out. But God still walks with me. He's joyed, overjoyed to walk with people who posture themselves in places of humility. That that's where life is found. And as we move to the Lord's table today, Jesus is the example for us. He exudes humility. What he demonstrates to us is that he came not to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. And as we visit the Lord's table, we intake that same posture. And what we do at this table is we say, God, I'm, I'm broken. I don't have life all figured out. I am a sinner. But even though that's who I am, your body was broken for me. And your blood was shed on my behalf. Let that kind of posture overtake my own life. May I become someone like you. Let this, what's demonstrated here at this table, let it get into my inside. It's no coincidence that the practice that Jesus gave to us to remember him is something that we partake of. It's something that we bring into our lives. It is, it is, yes, it's this exterior thing, but it's meant to be an interior action. 
where we say, Jesus, get into the inside of my life and work from the inside out. As we come to the Lord's table, here's the instruction um, for us. You'll see on this far side of the table that there's uh, two different, um, uh, I guess, presentations. One is um, there's a bowl that's there and that has individual um, communion elements. If you'd prefer uh, to take those individual elements, maybe go back to your seat and, and receive communion, uh, feel free to do it that way. Working over this way, you'll see a gluten-free um, communion. Um, setting, and that is for anyone that might need or just even want um, to have the gluten-free, and then I guess there's the gluten-rich <laughs> uh, communion um, elements here. Um, you won't be dismissed by rows or anything like that. I mean, the posture really is, is come forward as you would like. Um, you'll hear us speak a word of blessing over you, and what we invite you to do is um, to break a piece of the bread and dip it into the cup, and then um, receive communion that way. So I know Pastor Larissa uh, will come forward. Um, Pastor Ken, would you feel free to come forward and, and serve us as well this morning? And then I'll be down there. Let me pray for us. Um, your body given, your blood shed. Lord, may we in this space in a new and fresh way reflect on the fact that you laid your life down for us. May we sit at your table of, of, of humility and brokenness. May, may we sit at your table, not that, you, that you're broken in the sense that there was some kind of flaw to you, but you were quite literally broken on our behalf. May we sit and, and, and remember how, how you came to, to serve others and that that would, that would confront any area of our lives of, of arrogance, of pride, of presumption that we might live with. May we truly be a people that come before you and say, Lord, change us from the inside out. We don't want to be people that have this facade of Christianity, but we want to be a people that know your spirit working from the inside out, changing us, making us new in every space of our lives. Let's pray this in your name. Amen.